This is episode 41 of Cinescope, and this drink, I like it. Another! Welcome to Cinescope, where our goal is not to criticize or to assign ratings, but rather to celebrate the movies we love, exploring story, characters, music, and relevance to the world around us. I'm your host, Chad Hopkins, and returning to the show today is Joshua Torrey to talk about one of our favorite films, Thor. Joshua, how are you doing tonight? Doing really good. Me too. We just released a bonus episode a couple of days ago, well, yesterday at this point, talking about the new Marvel film, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. And so we thought, what more appropriate to talk about this week, the week after, than another Marvel film? So I said, hey, Joshua, pick a Marvel film, any Marvel film, and let's talk about it this week. So Thor is what you picked. And there's a little bit of background to that decision, I think, uh, from what you told me. So how about you reintroduce yourself real quick and uh, then let us know why Thor today? I'm a computer engineer from Austin, Texas. I'm married and have four kids. Uh, we don't watch many movies. Typically, we try to limit how much TV they watch. But the one thing we are really good for is two Marvel movies a month, easily. And so I asked my children... Uh, probably five minutes after you sent that to me that I got to choose, it it feels more like five days because it took them so long to answer. But about five minutes after I started talking to the kids about what Marvel movie they would want to see, and we finally had to zone them in on a Thor movie, Thor 1 or Thor 2, and they chose the original Thor because they absolutely loved the uh, Frost Giants, is what they call them. (laughs) (laughs) Kid, Kid logic, that works for me. Thank you for being back on the show. I'm excited to talk more Marvel because always Marvel. (laughs) There's plenty to talk about here, as we found after talking about Guardians for an hour the other day. (laughs) Yeah, I'm a little worried. I'm going to limit myself to how much I have to say about Thor tonight. I'm going to try. Well, we'll get to it in just a second. I want to remind listeners real quick. Last episode, episode 40, I announced a giveaway. There will be three winners. Uh, Details, I'll go over those at the end of the episode. So just stick around. And if you want to enter the contest, if you haven't heard before, then stick around so you can get the details on how to do that. That out of the way, let's do this. Let's talk about Thor. Are you ready? I am ready. (laughs) Let's do it. This was released on May 6th of 2011, which surprisingly, that's only two months before Captain America, the first Avenger released later that summer. I didn't realize that they came out that close. Yeah, there's a lot of historical value to that date like that's the big marvel release date is that may 6th uh, we just talked about guardians of the galaxy 2 which was released on may 4th you could look year after year they're releasing on this day they they placed a lot of weight on this thor release by putting on may 6th right and i believe that's when infinity war comes out next year if i'm remembering yeah. correctly and then avengers 4 the year after yeah so May 6, 2011, it was directed by Kenneth Branagh, or Branagh, I don't, I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce it. It's uh, the director who also directed Henry V, Much Ado About Nothing, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, Hamlet, As You Like It, Sleuth, 
Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit, Cinderella, and is directing the upcoming adaptation of Agatha Christie's Murder on the Orient Express. Lots of Shakespeare in his background, which definitely comes into play in this movie. I'm sure we'll have a couple things to say about that. The script was written by Ashley Edward Miller, Zach Stenz, and Don Payne, and the music was composed by Patrick Doyle, who composed many of Branagh's other films, uh, Henry V, Much Ado About Nothing, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, other films like A Little Princess, Sense and Sensibility, again, Branagh's Hamlet, Donnie Brasco, Quest for Camelot, Bridget Jones' Diary, Secondhand Lions, Nanny McPhee. I wrote down a lot of uh, different films for this. I'm going to finish off this list now. Sleuth, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Brave, Jack Ryan, Shadow Recruit, Cinderella, The Emoji Movie Upcoming, and also Murder on the Orient Express. So plenty under Mr. Doyle's belt. I did not mention uh, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire because I do not like his score for Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, um, but that's a different conversation. Uh, the movie stars Chris Hemsworth, Natalie Portman, Tom Hiddleston, Anthony Hopkins, Stellan Skarsgård, Colm Fjord, uh, Ray Stevenson, Idris Elba, Kat Dennings, Rene Russo, Tedanobu Asano, Josh Dallas, Jamie Alexander, and Clark Gregg. Who's Clark Gregg? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know who that guy is. No, we, we, we haven't been watching a TV show that stars him for four seasons or anything. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> well, what was your first experience with Thor? I'm, I'm really curious to know because I think mine's different than yours, I bet. It might be. I watched this movie in the theater. Um, I had seen, um, I believe, both Iron Man 1, Hulk came out, Iron Man 2 I saw in the theaters, and everything since Iron Man 2 I have seen in the theater. And I, I honestly don't remember liking the movie. Um, I don't know if that was because of context or just my general disdain for a superhero like Thor, which a lot of has changed since then. But I'm I'm pretty confident I saw that movie on my own or with some friends, and and was less than impressed. Okay, I did not see this movie until basically the week the Avengers came out. Growing up. I've got to say, I wasn't always a huge superhero fan. I didn't really watch any superhero cartoons. I watched the Spider-Man films starring Tobey Maguire, and I watched the Dark Knight films from Christopher Nolan. But aside from that, I didn't really care a whole lot about superheroes or comic books or anything like that. I had seen Iron Man, and I did like that. I think I might have seen Incredible Hulk. I don't think I had seen Iron Man 2 at that point. And so... When Avengers came around, it was really catch up. I did see Captain America in theaters. So that's what what surprised me about Thor being out in theaters only two months previous to Captain America, because I know I saw Captain America and I did not see Thor. So the first time I watched it, I thought it, I thought it was fine. You know, I wasn't blown away. I didn't linger on it for too long. I really was just amping up for this Avengers movie that was going to have this character in it. So I figured I needed to be aware of all the previous plot points in order to fully appreciate uh, a movie like the Avengers. So that, that was my first experience. I watched it on Blu-ray in a friend's living room and uh, while I was at college. And that being said, I was really eager to revisit this movie in particular because it is one of the more, well, maybe not so much now that the, the expanse of the MCU has grown so, so far, but in history, this film has been a little bit more maligned than other films in the Marvel cinematic universe. And so I was really looking forward to coming back, watching it in full for maybe only the second or third time ever. And 
maybe coming up with some things to defend it a little bit. My goal here isn't to convince anybody or to legitimately defend it. We're going to be doing the same thing we always do and talking about the things about this movie we love. And hopefully that just draws your attention to those same things and hopefully walk away with a better opinion of this film. Yeah, I I think going back historically and trying to like place it in its context, there were a lot of things that it tried to do that um, people maybe didn't latch on to and they've just held on to that first experience because the movie has completely taken on a different concept for me as I have watched it more and more with my children. I mean, Thor is a big deal in my household. And I say that um, with kids who are head over heels for Hulk and Captain America mostly. And now they're all about Dr. Strange. Um, but the Thor movies are the ones that believe it or not, they ask for more often than any other set of movies. And, you know, now they're, they're some of my favorites. I, I I'm with you. I, I understand why people have maligned them. I even have sympathy for some of them, but as time has, has gone on and I've watched it and gotten over some of the cheesy parts. I mean, I even rewatched the trailer and I was kind of just giggling to myself about how bad it is. Thank goodness for Thor Ragnarok and how awesome <laughs> that trailer looks. Right. Because, because the trailer for this movie is, is not good by the standard that we now kind of hold Marvel movies. Yeah. I don't remember much promotional material for this movie. I was in my first year of college when this uh, released. In fact, I was finishing up my first year of college. And I, like I said, I had literally no interest. I didn't care to watch any of the promotional material. I didn't have... This wasn't on my radar even remotely until the Avengers hype started ramping up. And I was like, okay, let's buy into this all the way and dive in. And that that was the that was when I started paying attention to it. Thor, who who cares? You know, I I liked Captain America because he's a classic comic book character. I liked Incredible Hulk because Hulk is a classic comic book character. But characters like Iron Man, even at the the start of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and especially Thor, were not forefront comic characters. They're they're a little bit more in the the backlogs as far as historical comics go and it's not until these movies that they've come into more predominant places in comic culture so what really interests me about uh, thor going back into this movie is the mystery of it this was the first character in this universe that was not of earth and so there's a lot of mystery there's a lot of legend this mixing and merging of science which marvel has always been really well rooted in science of everything and legend and magic and the unexplained. And I think that that is a really interesting character to bring in and mingle with a guy who built a robot suit using his weapons manufacturing knowledge. And this guy who, uh, thanks to gamma radiation became a different creature and captain America who basically just went on steroids, right? It, it, Thor is so much of a departure from all of those things. Yeah, it is. And and that's why I think it reminds me so much of Marvel's first attempt to do something like Guardians of the Galaxy, um, except that they moved Guardians of the Galaxy to a non-summer date when they released theirs. And then also with Doctor Strange, um, they, they kind of, they've always had this push against the boundaries. And I think Thor 
does that. Maybe it doesn't do it successfully for everybody, but it definitely does try, like you said, to bring for the first time this expansive universe to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I don't think people at the time that they were watching it realized, guys, this is going to be big. Like there are going to be way more movies, way more expanse to the universe than just some of the crazy stuff we do with Thor. Um, and so I think that probably led to it being more maligned at the time. I think that it's one of those movies now you look back and you go, yeah, it wasn't great, but man, it there, there's a lot to be said about the success of the Marvel Universe now because Thor was a, enough of, of a success. I actually enjoyed Thor quite a lot when watching it today. Um, and I'm not just saying that as somebody who looks at films op optimistically. I mean, I know that's what Cinescope is about, but that's not really... I, I was like emotionally affected watching this movie. What people, I think, have to accept is that it isn't a traditional comic book story. This isn't about the action and about the the cool fights. And the yes, the visuals are pretty outstanding in a lot of cases the design of asgard is beautiful and the 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 stark contrast of that with the with jotunheim and the frost giants but really what this this movie is about is deception and pride and betrayal and redemption and doubt and discovery right it's about all those things and i, I mentioned earlier kenneth Branagh's uh shakespearean background all of those are very shakespearean concepts it's about rises and falls and transitions of power and stuff like that right it 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 offers a lot more than typical comic book movie fare i think and so for that reason i walked away with it a lot more this time with that in the back of my head this might be the most complex of the origin stories in the marvel universe you hear all the people um, mocking dr strange for just being a ripoff of Iron Man. Like, you can't blame the original material for Doctor Strange for being similar to, to Tony Stark and Iron Man. But when you really think back at, at all of the origin stories for Marvel in their context, what had come before them, Thor is unquestionably the most complicated origin story of them all. It has a lot of thematic turns and movements some of them are predictable some of them are a little cheesy i get that but they're there and they're very very different to the other origin stories which tend to be a little bit more straightforward i know thor doesn't have the greatest character development or some people might think it's too quick of a character development for him but the story in general with all the individuals that they're bringing in and out in the first movie it's pretty incredible for me having seen it multiple times because of my kids now, it's really an enjoyment to watch. Yeah, and it's not a standard good guy, bad guy movie either. It's it's about characters trying to prove themselves, whether it's yeah. Thor trying to prove himself worthy, of, worthy to be king for his father or Loki just proving himself to be equal to Thor to Odin. I mean, that, that, that right there, that dynamic is heartbreaking. Loki doesn't want the throne. Loki just wants to be seen as equal to his brother. This this person who he spent his whole life with. And he, he can see the favor that his father has, obviously, for Thor. And it's so sad because you get it. You understand Loki's actions to a certain extent. And 
that is what fascinates me about this movie is that it's all about the character relationships and Marvel does do character relationships most of the time pretty well. Um, Laufey isn't the biggest uh, character in this movie as far as personality goes because he doesn't need to be. He's not the central conflict and Loki being the antagonist isn't really the main conflict either. It's about these characters trying to prove something. Yeah, and I think you you still see that today. Everyone looks back to Loki as being the best bad guy in the Marvel Universe. Newsflash, he wasn't the bad guy in this movie. He's a foil. He's a character. Um, They're developing him. He interacts. He's not just this ultimate or penultimate bad guy who Thor needs to get through. And that's what makes this movie so much more different from some of the others at this time is that every other movie had a very clear bad guy And we talked about this in the Guardians podcast that dies. They're done by the end of it. And Loki kind of slides in as a really good character in this movie who does go villainous, but provides this wonderful um, tapestry to the Thor story that Marvel then gets to turn around and trade on. And they've traded on him now for, you know, three movies. And it looks like in Thor Ragnarok, he's coming back. He's a Marvel favorite because they took the opportunity to use Loki and build into him a character that they could keep. And I don't know that people take that at, at the value that it really is. Right. What What else in the story uh, stands out to you here? I think the Thor's dynamic with his dad, which um, continues, you know, in, in every movie, there's always a little bit of a pitfall for the protagonist, um, except for Captain America, because he's awesome from the beginning. You know, everyone hail <laughs> Captain America. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan. But Thor's particularly, he his arrogance level, I think, as like a as a demigod and his um his different the difference of his quote unquote daddy issues with Odin, I think make him particularly attractive as not just a superhero, but someone we can relate to who's going to need to to grow up, not just for survival, but I think particularly with him, he grows up to be someone of value and worth. I think his caring for someone less than him, and that's really what he does in this movie, is not just um, coming to grips with, I'm going to be on the throne, but it's, it's his willingness to care for people underneath him, beneath him, not worthy of him that makes him capable of assuming the throne that we don't have to see. We don't see very often in movies that there needs to be compassion that brings about the fullness of the character's development. And before we do get into a little bit more character discussion, I just want to mention the end credit scene of this one back when we only had one end credit scene in our Marvel movies. Uh, I think it, again, it being placed before Captain America, you have the reveal of the Tesseract, which we don't know what it is yet. And then you have the hinting of Loki manipulating Eric Selvig in Avengers as well. And so I think that's one of the better, well, the pre Avengers post credit scenes, I think were all very, very good because they were all, amping up the next movie and the next Avengers film specifically. And we still do that, but now we have five of them, which I'm not, I'm not complaining. I'm just poking some fun. Uh, but I, I, 
really enjoyed this particular cutscene because I didn't remember it. And so looking at how it prefaced Captain America and gave us a taste of something that we don't know the the capabilities of before we see the next movie two months later. That that was really cool and well done for Marvel. But anyways, yeah, back when oh, back ahead. when they had to do back when they had to do the cutscene like right after the credits had started because people weren't going to stay the whole time necessarily. And the same thing with Thor when when um, you've got Agent Coulson just driving up to the hammer and saying, "Sir, we found it." It's like they didn't just hand wrap it for you uh, like they do now with four or five scenes and everyone's looking for it and excited to go find it on the Google afterwards. You know, back back then they really did films with those extra credit scenes very well. Yes. And with that, let's move into character discussion specifically. You already talked a little bit about Thor. First, I want to point out how fantastic Chris Hemsworth is as Thor. I don't, can you think of anybody else who would have even been close to Hemsworth as Thor? It, it's it's a hard decision in retrospect because we have had him as Thor for six years now. But man, what perfect casting. And that is something that Marvel has excelled at from the beginning is finding people who just embody the characters they're portraying. Yeah, absolutely. The only person I could think of that would ever, and this is taking in multiple decades, come close is a young Arnold Schwarzenegger who had acting skills and could speak clearly. Like he would have been perfect for a, a Thor film. Um, but in the in the time frame that they were choosing, I mean, both the demeanor and the arrogance, and like you've you've mentioned, there's this Shakespearean manner to his the way he speaks that just has a, a clarity to it. I believe is, is he Australian? He is. Yeah. I mean, it just, it was a perfect, just slightly um, different form of English pronunciation and emphasis that brings about the, the wonderfulness of his character. Uh, I mean, even Tom Hiddleston as Loki it, again is one of those character choices that you realize had they made a mistake with that, it would have never worked. And not only would it have, have doomed Thor, it would have doomed subsequent movies in which he turned into. And uh, I think it sounds very um, simple to say that Loki is one of the, the characters that you just have to fall in love with. But the, the range of his interaction, both with his dad and with Thor and the diversity between those interactions and the, the emotional turmoil that his character goes through discovering where he's from and how he relates and how he was already trying to betray his family. And now he wants to do it better. And then ultimately he's heartbroken at the end. I mean, it's a race between him, him and Thor for the emotional and, and character development. And he brings it all not just with the delivery of his lines but his body just emotes everything that that needs to be emoted from even the the letting go of the staff that he's holding on to at the end like you really buy that he's just given up on his family and he really would prefer to just not not be with them at all and that's one of those emotional moments that we kind of look back on and it's like, oh, he's going to come back. And you just kind of skip past it now that you watch it. But it really is a very moving final sequence to the movie. 
Thor specifically, I love the arc. You said something earlier about maybe him not having the greatest, or at least the perceived not greatest character arc. And I wouldn't say that that's wrong. I just saying I identify, well, I didn't identify with him. I followed him very well this this viewing he starts off he's overconfident he's thirsty for war thirsty for glory he he seeks personal glory rather than a more peaceful path he he even as a kid that that prologue scene when odin has told the history of the frost giants and uh, how they they came to have the casket and that kind of that that story he says if when i'm king i'm going to seek out the the ice the frost giants and kill them all like this is a kid he's saying this and then here we flash forward and he's going through with this promise essentially and even when he's stripped of his powers after he has betrayed odin and gone against his orders and almost gotten his friends killed in trying to take down the frost giants he is on earth and he still thinks of himself as the almighty thor and it's not until he tries to pick up the hammer after he's fought his way tooth and nail through this camp that he realizes that he really is just mortal at this point. He really is not the person he had been his entire life. And I think that's what's really interesting about this character. In the other Marvel phase one Marvel films, you had characters who had to build themselves up from nothing into something, whereas Thor starts as Thor. He is the character we know today, but he has to be stripped of those powers first and prove himself not physically capable. He's obviously very physically capable, even even as a mortal. He has to prove himself capable of the badge of Thor and the the position of king. And I think that is a really powerful approach to a character. Yeah, the, the one line I feel... I think there are a lot of lines in this movie that kind of get overlooked because people are thinking whatever they they tend to dislike. But it's when, I mean, newsflash, we get the introduction to Hawkeye in this movie amongst all the Thor talk. Hello, Hawkeye. But he has this little comment when uh, Coulson's talking about, you know, taking the shot or is he ready to take the shot? And he just says something like, I'm beginning to cheer for this guy. And you kind of get that sense of, He's thawing right now, kind of like you were talking about. Even on Earth, he's still experiencing this wonderful, um, euphoric, I am Thor. I'm about to fulfill my mission. And I think that's one of those small little lines that just adds even more to his inability to pull the hammer out and adds to the dr- the, the drama of that sequence that somebody we're going to see later on, somebody that we know is involved in, in the superhero business even he's kind of looking at Thor and looking at what he's doing and he's just like, yeah, this guy's awesome, but he's not the Thor he needs to be. And, and I think, I think there are a couple moments like that where he interacts with side characters, just either one lining or two lines of engagement where the development of Thor is sometimes truncated because Thor himself isn't like narrating his movement through the movie and I think sometimes people perceive that as being too quick of a movement for his character development. I think it's actually very well laid out and and quite plain if you just kind of sit back and enjoy the movie. 
Well, he basically comes to Earth and thinks of it as a scavenger hunt. He hears that his hammer is out there. And so, hey, I'm going to go get my hammer and I'm going to be Thor again. I'm going to be me. I'm going to be back, baby. And I'm going back and I'm going to kick some face back in Asgard. And that that's his approach. And it's not until that moment at the camp when he is he's still thinking this and he's fought his way through person after person after person and he can't pick up the hammer. And then he is captured because he's not powerful, not all powerful at least. And Loki visits him and says, because of what you did, Odin was so depressed, so upset that he, your father is dead and your mother doesn't want you there anymore. And so everything that he thought he was, everything that he wanted to be crumbles in that scene. And I don't think that's too fast. I think that is just look at everything come crashing down around you all at once. And it's after that, that he is taken out of the camp by Selvig and they go to the bar and they have that moment of just being guys together, essentially (laughs) drinking, drinking and fighting and proving their ancestors proud. And then the next day he, he is hanging out with, or that night later that night, he's hanging out with, uh, Jane and talking about magic and science and those the intersection of those ideas. And then the next day, the destroyer is there and he comes to realize my friends are what's important to me. These people are what's important to me, especially once he realizes that Loki lied to him and that his father and his people are waiting and are potentially in danger. And so it's at that point that he, he decides their safety is the the main focus it should be my focus and so i'm going to sacrifice myself to see to their safety and that's when he becomes thor and i i love that arc for him yeah i think it's important to kind of recognize in in the characters some of their 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 traits their normal attributes you know everyone knows captain america is just an idealist and so for captain america you have to tear down his idealism slowly over multiple movies. And eventually we kind of get a full Captain America development. But with Thor, we're talking about a demigod who has all the power at his hand that the character change for an all powerful individual like Thor is going to come quickly, but it's also going to come very decisively just because of his, his act nature. Like you mentioned in the opening scene of him as a kid, he's already a child who wants to take action. And we see him as a young man just running around taking action. And eventually he realizes, oh my goodness, this is these actions that I've been taking have been wrong. And he does through a number of funny and not so funny interactions with multiple characters come to this very take action to protect his friends. I mean, he had already turned um, a situation with his, I don't want to call them superhero friends because they're not superhero friends, but his, his hero friends from Asgard into a, a horrible situation. And now he's engaging with these human friends who are very weak. And he, he just kind of has this, very aggressive nature to him in which he's constantly pushing forward. He He's practically working out um, who he is and what he's doing. And I think sometimes between the humor of scenes, it just kind of gets lost. I mean, the, the, the 
scene in the coffee shop right before he goes off looking for his for his hammer where he's smashing the coffee cup laughing <laughs> moment and then you got Kate Dennings taking a picture and saying it's on Facebook and it's like oh cultural reference funny but he's a little taken back at the response from Portman's character Jane Foster about that's not how we behave here and, and it can get lost in the midst of some of the funny stuff or it's a moment where he realizes that his behavior is not beneficial to the people who are around him. And whether it be too complicated or too obscured, I think those are the little elements that do actually lead to the development in the movie that you you see multiple times when you watch it time and time again. Um, you know, I watch it with kids, so sometimes the only part I actually hear is the quiet parts where they're talking because during the fight scenes, my kids are going bananas on the couch. Um, and it's only during those like coffee-like scenes where they don't get the humor that I'm actually able to hear the the dialogue. And so maybe those are why those scenes stand out to me. Yeah, he's a character of action. And by the end of the film, he he learns that sometimes the best action is inaction or diplomacy. And that is his growth. And I think that's great. Now, Loki... As you said, Hiddleston is perfect. I don't need to say more about that. He's this manipulative character. He's mischievous. He he stands to the side and listens and learns and waits for opportunities. He's almost the antithesis of Thor. Uh, whereas Thor is big, brawny, and action-heavy, Loki is in the shadows waiting for the best moment to take advantage to take advantage of his surroundings. And he's broken too. Um, the the parts of this movie that affected me the most emotionally were the the times that Loki was on screen because he's this character who again just wants to be loved by his dad. That that that's the root of it. He wants to be loved by his dad, and then he finds out that that's not even his dad. And his dad, or who he thought was his dad, has been lying to him all his life and the person who is actually his dad is basically the boogeyman of Asgardian children. <laughs> he just wants to be accepted. He wants to be equal and as well loved as Thor is, but he's not. And he'll do anything, anything to earn Odin's approval, even when it comes to staging a murder, well, not even staging it, a, a, to instigate a murder attempt only to prevent it and essentially lie to multiple people at once he lies to thor about odin being dead and about his mother not wanting him he lies to laufey about uh, a promise to return the casket when he really just wants the glory of saving his father he he's just the instigator he he never we we said this earlier he's never truly the bad guy in any of these movies even in the avengers he instigates things he gets things in motion and he steps to the side and that doesn't relieve him of any of the blood on his hands but it just shows the kind of character he is he's not the one to step in and throw punches and though we do get some of that in this movie it's really about brothers conflicting with each other and at the end of the film when loki has he's he's hanging from the bridge after thor has destroyed it and odin is holding them both up and loki's just looking up and he's pleading to Odin, I could have done it. I could have done it. I was so close to making you proud. And Odin 
while breaks your heart says no loki and loki lets go and he's gone and thor is destroyed because that was his brother no matter what happened no matter what loki did no matter how he might have betrayed him how he almost killed him he's his brother and that that's the kind of complex relationship that is all over this film yeah i feel like this is the complex marvel movie that everyone who is pro dc um should love like i i i don't agree with it but one of the one of the complaints that's constantly levied against marvel is that they don't have complex dark enough movies and we've had a couple movies since thor in 2011 that dealt with mom and dad issues both on the marvel side and the dc side and i'm not sure either of those movies handled those mom dad relationships well but when you watch this movie like the loki odin relationship is really good and and i i Forgive me for not knowing the name of the actress who plays the the mother. I believe the mother's name is uh, is it Frigga? It's uh, Renee Russo is Frigga. Okay, like she even the relationship with her sons, you feel it. It's real, and that that's a credit to them for making that an an enjoyable emotional movie. It is not a slugfest. It's not a joke fest. There are some slow moments. I think there's some of that kind of dry humor, which it seems like Thor Ragnarok is going to be discarding. We'll see if that's good or not. But I think Loki's interaction kind of brings it all together because he is the primary source of the final betrayal. And so him and Thor cross paths in the middle on the, not the acceptance scale because Thor was always more accepted, but in terms of feeling accepted, um, Loki goes through a period of feeling like he's on the high Thor goes through a period of feeling like he's on the low and they diverge and Thor's ending out correct and right and just is only as high as it is. It's only as enjoyable to see him lifted up as he is because of Loki's dramatic fall. And, and so um, I think you, you couldn't have this movie without Loki, you couldn't have this movie without Loki's interaction with other characters and believing it, believing that he really does care for his dad, believing he really does care for his mom. Like you said, you know, that final scene, all he wants is dad's dad's approval and he can't get that after all he's done. And it builds, I think after you've watched it one or two times, it builds back into his behavior at the beginning. And you begin to see Loki from the beginning of the movie as someone that you connect to. Yeah, he cares about everybody in Asgard, I think. Loki just, he leaves. Yeah. He leaves because he's broken and because he doesn't feel as accepted as others. And that that's what it comes down to. And that, that just, it breaks my heart. I keep saying that phrase, but it really does. I, I did shed a tear or two for Loki tonight because he just is a character who wants to fit in and can't. He He finds himself incapable of it just because of it's who he is and it, it's it's sad um odin i don't want to talk too much about odin specifically but he is a character who wants to do the best for his sons and for his people he he makes the tough decision he banishes thor but only in giving in banishing him he gives him a way back he he says whoever holds this hammer 
if he be worthy, possesses the power of Thor. So he gives Thor a way to come back if he is able to prove himself. It's not a permanent banishment. And Loki, I he says to Loki that I wanted to protect you from the truth. I loved you. You are my son. And though I do think there's truth in what Loki says about, well, obviously part of it's a political decision to take Loki in the first place for future relationships between the, the Frost Giants and the Asgardians. But I do think that Odin cares about Loki too. And it it's I'm sure it's tough for him there at the end to say, Loki, I know what you want from me. I know you just want me to look at you and to say, well done. But no, you have not done well this time. And I can't say that to you. And that's what that's sort of the 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 straw that breaks the camel's back for Loki. And that that that's what that's who Odin is. He's the guy who makes the tough decisions in order to to best protect and to serve his people and his family. Yeah, and I think the the only downside to the movie, I mean, we we're, we're supposed to say a couple of things we don't like about it, right? Um I think that the the Loki Thor Odin dynamic does push some of the other relationships to the side. I mean, there's some good little interactions with um, some of the other cast, I mean, like you mentioned, Eric and Thor's comments towards one another are part humorous, part serious. Thor's engagement with Jane is part scientific, part romantic. You know, there's some kissing involved that my daughter's ooh and awe over. Um, <laughs> Darcy's interaction, um, Kate Dennings is a, a phenomenal comedic relief. You've got Agent Coulson, Clark Gregg in there, um, and then just a litany of cast below them that all have valuable characters to add. The only downside, I think, to this movie is that some of them do not shine because of the expansive time on Thor, Loki, and Odin. Um, not complaining. Still think it's a phenomenal movie, but I think that might have been part of what led to just this kind of discontinuity in Thor 2. No one ever really buys into the Hemsworth-Portman romance, and I think part of that begins in this movie that um, they're just not given quite as much um, serious time, emotionally serious time, like the, the three main guys. Yeah. In writing my notes today, I only really wrote character notes for Thor, Loki, and Odin. In Odin, because those are the characters with the the most to talk about in this film. Yes, there's the connection between Thor and Jane, but Jane doesn't really particularly have a whole lot of growth in this film. Neither does Selvig. You get a little bit more in the Dark World and in the Avengers and so on, but really they are just there for as growing devices for Thor, for characters for him to interact with in order to learn more about himself and about his interactions with people. Um, that being said, I love Stellan Skarsgård as, as Selvig. I think Kat Dennings, you're right, is pretty funny as Darcy. Um, I think that Natalie Portman does fine as Jane Foster. Uh, in fact, I'd say her performance as a character is great. It's just the character itself that maybe isn't the greatest, but one thing cinematography wise that I hadn't mentioned, uh, there are lots of close shots of people's faces in this movie. Mm -hmm. And 
in those close shots, you are able to see them emote so freely. And even Natalie Portman, though her character doesn't have the greatest arc in this film, you can see some great acting on her part in the the emotions, the little emotions even that play off her face because we're we're right up in the moment with the camera. Uh, so great job as far as cinematography goes there. Yeah, this is not this is not episode two, episode three of Star Wars, Natalie Portman. This is a much better acted Natalie Portman role for sure. Yes. And uh the only other character I really wanted to mention was Colson, just because of Agents of Shield. And this is, I believe, his first sort of more prominent role as far as the films go. And we get to see a little bit of the the Agent Colson from Agents of Shield where he's sort of playing the game a little bit. He 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 is aware that Thor is not this doctor that Selvig is claiming he is. Yet he lets him go and let's follow him and let's see what we can find out. Let's see what we can learn. So th- he's already a little bit of the Coulson from the TV show that we love. And I, I love that he-, he gets his little moments to shine. Yeah, there's not there's n- uh, he's another one of those characters who gives you a couple brief moments of good interaction with Thor. He gives you some good interaction with uh, Portman at the end talking about, you know, wanting to keep her on for a scientist and, and it develops his backstory. But it doesn't get its opportunity to shine at him. I specifically think of some of his interaction with the other Avengers in the first Avengers movie, but also his interaction um, with Iron Man kind of one-on-one prior to meeting the Avengers. And I think that they, they, they might've dropped the ball. He, he might've been good with Thor. I don't, I don't know. They seem like very opposite characters. Like you're saying, they're, they're going in a little bit of the opposite direction with him kind of free balling, um, things. It fits his character development as a side story, but it does, it does get a little lost. He, he's son of the son of Cole. That, that yeah. line always makes me laugh. Uh, <laughs> just because funny. you've got Odin's son, you've got Laufey's son and we've got the son of Cole. So <laughs> I think that closes off our character discussion. Uh, just briefly on the music, uh, as I mentioned, it was composed by Patrick Doyle, who composed a lot of other things. This is the only score in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I said I didn't like his score for Goblet of Fire. Again, that's a separate discussion, but I do like his score for this movie. I think his his score here sometimes gets a little criticism just because it's Thor, I guess, because it's it's a little too optimistic for some people. But I, I hear that theme and I hear the optimism. I hear the regality of Asgard. I hear the, the nobility in Odin and in Thor and in the, the, the pride of their people. And that same theme is twisted and turned here and there to provide different emotions, whether it's manipulated to communicate remorse or despair. It, it always ends up hopeful. And I think that that that's where the movie ends is yes. Some bad things happened. Yes. We've lost Loki. Yes. I've lost my connection with Jane, but things are looking up because I am who I need to be now. And I'm, I'm making my father proud. And the, the score throughout is sweeping at times and dramatic. And there's some fun action cues that are really percussion heavy. And so I do think it's a good score. It's not the strongest score from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't know what that would be, but I think it's perfectly fine. And I really enjoy the main theme. I, it's probably, I I don't know if I could sing the theme for Thor, the dark world, but I could sing the theme for Thor, 
So I don't know how much that says, but it's, it's a good score. It's good music. There's some regality to it that is really enjoyable. I, I tend to prefer it in the film. I have listened to the, the, the soundtrack and found myself kind of dozing and yawning off. Um, Partially because I knew you were going to ask about it for this podcast, so I, I plugged it in and I've been listening <laughs> to a bunch of, I've been listen, listening to a, a, a lot of folk music, and it was just very vastly different. Um, I think in the movie, it fits the mood of the movie incredibly well. I think it is one of the few movies that even if something doesn't stand out, it's enhanceive. And that can't be said about all the Marvel movies, that the, the soundtrack was truly enhancive. And so we've talked about guardians and how guardians kind of plays off how much the, the music is involved in even some of the storytelling. No one else has really tried to broach that this captures. I think when we were talking about Thor and his Thorness from the beginning, I think the soundtrack captures that and it never loses that. It lets you remember despite some of the twisting and turning, that he is still Thor, son of Odin, and he is still worthy to carry the hammer, although it takes us a while to get there. And so I think maybe that's what makes it boring for me when I listen to it apart from the movie. I, I don't hear as much of the progression as I see in the film. I think that's fair. And the bottom line is when it comes to movie scores, yes, it's nice to have one that's listenable outside of the film. But the primary goal of a film score is to enhance the film. So if the score enhances the film for you, which it sounds like it does, then, hey, Patrick Doyle completed his his role in making this film. So that's what I got to say about that, at least. Um, now, let's sort of wind things down with our takeaways. So what what takeaways or a takeaway or whatever do you have for Thor? <sighs> this is a tough question. I think the major takeaway is um, as I mentioned previously, compassion that a lot of the other Marvel characters do not display a level of care for other people that Thor does. There might be care for saving innocent people from some kind of pragmatism or idealism or altruism, but, but Thor in particular has to bring his compassion from a level of humility and understanding humanity and an understanding the worlds that they protect and understanding that it's not just about running around killing people to defend innocent people. It's about actually caring about those people. Um, and that's the difference between, you know, just some kind of general mercy and true compassion, empathy um, for an individual. And I think Thor's development towards that compassion is something that I'm not completely sure the Marvel Universe has carried through, but I think it shines through in this movie. That goes hand in hand with what I had come up with, which was loyalty. It's not always loyalty to a king, but sometimes it's loyalty to your friends or to your people or kingdom or to yourself even, or even just to an idea. It's knowing when it is appropriate to be loyal to what. That is what Thor is. Thor, at the beginning of the film, is loyal to himself and who he wants to be. He wants to be this big action hero. By the end of the film, he has learned that as a king, 
he needs to be primarily loyal to his people and to his friends and even to family. And that, that was, that goes right hand in hand with compassion, I think, because if you are a compassionate leader, you're going to put others ahead of yourself. And that's what Thor learns. And then also the idea of knowledge, you have Jane and Darcy and Eric Selvig pursuing knowledge. They're, they're trying to find answers to the things they don't know. They want to, they, they want to learn. And on a, a similar vein, using what you've learned to make wise or knowledgeable decisions. Thor learns. I, I've said the word like a thousand times talking about Thor in this episode because that that's what he had to do in this movie. That was his progression. He learned about himself and about how to interact with people and how to be a leader and how to be a king. And so it's using what you learned, using that knowledge to make those decisions that are going to benefit people around you rather than just yourself. Yeah, he, he, reminds, he reminds you of the high school jock who falls for someone that society would deem lower than himself to kind of stretch outside of the comic book movie realm towards other um, movie paradigms. It's like you said, he's got to learn to be loyal to people that he originally deemed unworthy. And I think that's a story that, captivates us when it's not a comic book movie but when it is a comic book movie we're like i don't get this guy and that might speak to part of why people don't like thor we don't like the fact that he ha is all powerful and cares about small people i don't know well i think that's a good point too because that is, that is what's endearing a little bit about thor's uh affection thor's affection for jane is she's mortal. He's got Sif. You can tell that she's got some sort of feeling for him. Yet he has fallen for the mortal woman who isn't a warrior, who isn't putting herself out there in an action-focused way. She's focusing on learning and on knowledge and on expanding her mind. And again, she's mortal. And I think it's Thor coming down to the level of uh, to 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 use a not great word lesser person mm -hmm. jane's not lesser she's not a god uh, on earth is basically what i mean thor on earth is a god and for him to fall for a mortal woman says a lot about who he has come to be so yeah even though there's not a whole lot of growth for her character that relationship from that perspective uh, does hold a lot of meaning. Yeah, it's got a say anything breakfast club kind of vibe to it where a popular kid falls for an unpopular kid in a romantic way. It, it's got that kind of vibe for it. Yeah. Yeah. Any other takeaways? I think that's all. Cool. I think that that works for me too. Um, any final thoughts about the movie before we close off? I think people need to give it a second chance. I think people need to watch it with little kids um, particularly little girls who think Thor is just the bee's knees and just have a good time with it. I, I mean, it, it is a comic book movie. Open your mind. Ignore the wig. I know the wig's bad. We didn't talk about the wig. It's okay not to talk about the wig. <laughs> Hemsworth's <laughs> wig is bad. Let's just leave it at that. Ignore the wig, and I think you can enjoy this movie. For me, I would just say look at the relationships, whether that's Thor to Loki or Loki to Odin or Thor to Odin 
or Thorda Jane or Thorda anybody in the movie. Look to the relationships, and that's where the the real value in this movie lies, I think. So, that being said, that is the end of the official 41st episode of Cinescope. Thank you for picking a different movie than I expected you to. You're welcome. I'd I'd like to know what movie you thought I was going to pick. Well, I just think a lot of people would have gravitated to Captain America Winter Soldier or Civil War or maybe Iron Man 1. Mm. Um, those are the, the the critical successes more than just the box office successes in the cinematic universe. And I, I think it's there's something to be said for these, these smaller ones that maybe didn't get the greatest critical reception but definitely deserve the rewatch. Agreed. Well, cool. Contact for the show. Facebook.com slash Cinescope Podcast and at Cinescope Pod on Twitter. Please, if you're interested in the giveaway, there will be three winners. One person will be getting the grand prize of two movies that we've talked about up through episode 52. And two people will get one movie from any episode we've talked about in any format you want. So just leave it a review on iTunes and or share the show on Facebook or Twitter and make sure to tag the Cinescope Podcast or at Cinescope Pod so that I can see it and keep note of your entry. So you have all the way through episode 52 to enter that. So you got a little bit, I'm not going to talk about it in every single episode, but be aware of that. If you want to enter that giveaway. Also, if you have feedback or ideas or are interested in co-hosting and have a movie you'd like to talk about, email me at the podcast at gmail.com. Joshua, where can people find you online? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Ben Yoon. That is B-E-N-N-U-W-N. Um, I'm mostly talking about sports on there or craft beer. Um, so maybe that's not the best place to see some of my Marvel hot takes. But then you can also read um, book reviews, movie reviews on ToryGazette.com. And um, the Twitter handle is at ToryGazette. Yes, make sure to check them out there. And don't forget to go back and check out bonus episode six where we talked about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 together. And then all the way back to Episode 20, if you're feeling in the Christmas mood and want to listen to some white Christmas talk. So those are places where you can find Joshua here on Cinescope. The best place to find me is at Chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A and Facebook.com slash Chad.Hopkins. And all the show notes, all the contact information can be found at thecinescopepodcast.com. And that is all for this week. Thank you, Joshua. Always a pleasure to talk movies and Marvel with you. It was great. And thank you everyone for listening to episode 41. I'm Chad Hopkins. This was Cinescope and we'll be back next week with episode 42. Have fun and celebrate movies. Mm-hmm.